It was a dreadful thing, this night horror, impossible to understand, but Ronan was done being afraid. Chapter 62, page 426, The Dream Thieves. Hi, I'm Shannon. And I'm Navita. And we're We're the the Raven Raven Girls. Girls. Welcome to our Raven Cycle podcast. Where we talk about, wait, is that a dragon? Is that a motherfucking dragon? (laughs) Nobody told me there would be dragons at this party. We totally did tell you that there will be dragons at this party, Navita. <laughs> Man. <laughs> How do I get rid of these motherfucking dragons off this motherfucking party? <laughs> this is episode 30 and the last episode of this season. And we're covering chapters 60 through the epilogue of the Dream Thieves. We will also be taking a deep dive on dragons. dragons. <laughs> <laughs> Disclaimers, this is an analysis podcast. We'll be discussing the Raven Cycle as a cycle. This means we are spoilerific, so you probably want to have read the books before listening. We use pronunciations from the audiobooks, and page numbers are referenced from the paperback editions. And a disclaimer from me, this podcast has a Teen Plus rating. There will be canon levels of adult content, including Ronan swearing, 300 Foxway drinking, Kavinsky lewdness, <laughs> and yeah, there'll be some gray man violence. Shannon <sighs> almost stabbed someone at I lunch. I did not. <laughs> yes, she did. I just wanted my avocado, and I didn't <laughs> want her to take it away. <laughs> it was the last bite of avocado. Shannon had been saving it. She was going to savor the avocado. The waitress came by, and we both were like, no, don't take the avocado. It was, okay. It was very anyway. dramatic. <laughs> uh, with that, let's get into the actual episode, please. Okay. Shannon is done with this book. <laughs> I like this book. It's not like I'm like, oh, I hate it. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. Okay, but a little bit more serious note. We wanted to remind you that these last chapters of The Dream Thieves do cover a character deciding to take their own life. If at any time you become uncomfortable with this topic, we want to reassure you that your feelings and experiences are valid and your safety physically, mentally, and emotionally matters a great deal to us. Absolutely. We are speaking from our personal truths and experiences, and we advocate for you to practice self-love and do what is best for you. If that means stopping the podcast, including choosing not to listen at all beyond this point, we understand. It's okay, and we support you. If you or anyone you know may be experiencing a painful crisis in the United States, please call 1-800-273-8255, available 24 hours a day, to reach the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. There's also a chat option if that's a better path for you. We love you, and we are thankful and honored that you have chosen to journey through these books, including their difficult topics, with us. Oh, man, this is going to be tough. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) Yep, yep. I think that's part of why it was so difficult for you to get through this book. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, (laughs) And then on a lighter note, Shannon, what day is today? What day is today? Is today solstice? Well. Oh, not uh, equinox, (laughs) I mean. Yes, but... Saturday, twenty first. What? what it's I? our two year oh anniversary. God. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> oh. 
We released on the equinox, the autumn equinox, Uh. two years ago. (laughs) That was what we decided was going to be our first release day. Yay! So I got you a gift. It's me. The gift that keeps on giving. (laughs) Okay, now I got you a gift. It's me. Okay, awesome. Like much like Gansey giving himself to his mom for her birthday. <laughs> but anyway, I just wanted to bring that up because yes, happy anniversary, happy anniversary. We were supposed to record this episode two or three weeks ago, but I've been so wiped out and sick, and it's been tough. It's been very tough, and summer is a very hard time for me in general with work, just very very overwhelming and busy. So. I'm glad that we are here today on our anniversary to get through this last episode of Season 2, The Dream Thieves. Yay! And with that... Let's actually do this! Chapter let's, time! Let's okay. do this. Chapter 60 is a blue point of view chapter. Matthew is in trouble. Gansey and Ronan bust into 300 Fox Way in a panic. Blue comes along to give the boys directions to the drag strip and help them with the rescue. Shit, 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 the dream battle's about to begin! Dragons! <laughs> Gansey blasted into 300 Fox Way, and that's definitely out of the ordinary for him. Mm-hmm. Jane, he called, her stomach twisted. Blue! This was how Blue knew something was really wrong. Yep, because he only uses Blue when something's up. Right. Real names have power, and we'll see this come up again later. Yep. Ronan exploded in behind him, and if she hadn't been able to tell from Gansey, she would have known it from Ronan. He was wild-eyed as a trapped animal. When he stopped, he rested his hand on the door jamb, and his fingers crawled up it. Ronan is terrified right now, and mm-hmm. rightfully so. He can't stop moving. If he does, the anxiety will just compound. Mm-hmm. And after they tell her what is happening, I love how Blue doesn't even hesitate to go with them to help Ronan. Right. You know, kid in trouble. Yeah, but still. <laughs> mm-hmm. They head out to the 4th of July parade in search of more Arcala and find neither. Two things. First, at least they look for adult help. Yeah. Second, why do you think they don't look for Persephone? I guess Blue wouldn't know that she's with Adam, but I kind of get the feeling they wouldn't have thought of her as an adult in any case. Yeah, I very much just figured that they knew Adam and Persephone were on their own quest. Uh Uh-huh. They drive by Kay's house and find it empty. But wouldn't that be expected? Maybe, maybe not. I mean, he could be holding Matthew there for all they know, I guess. But also, no Mrs. Kavinsky? Yeah, that's true. That is a little weird. Yeah, it didn't sound like she left very often. Mm -mm. Blue directed them to the old Henrietta drag strip, the annual location of Kavinsky's 4th of July party. It seemed impossible that neither Gansey nor Ronan had ever been to it. Yep. In my mind, these two places, this and the fairground where the party happened, were one and the same place with, like, no, they're two totally different places. Yeah, and I guess in my head, too, like, a place like Henrietta would have the drag strip and the fairgrounds pretty much in the same location. That makes sense, yeah. (laughs) Maybe this part of Joseph Kavinsky wasn't very Aglinby at all. Is any part of him Aglinby? I guess not. I guess he's more like the boarding school dude bro than Gansey, Ronan, or Adam. Yeah, a little bit. Kavinsky's 4th of July party was infamous. So infamous, even the townies know about it. (laughs) Two years before, he had supposedly had an actual tank for the fireworks finale. As in, a full-size, olive-drab tank with Russian characters painted on the side. It was a rumor, of course, and stayed a rumor because the end of the story was that he blew up the tank itself. Why would Blue have trouble believing this? Also, why was it a Russian tank? 
I also had, why Russian? <laughs> so if he dreamed this two years ago, he has been pulling from the ley line for a super long time. Good point. Three years before, a junior from a school three counties over had overdosed on something the hospital hadn't seen before. Kavinsky's dream drugs have not been FDA approved. I've always wondered if that's what happened to Prokopenko. Possibly. (laughs) And why would you dream drugs that can be OD'd on? If you can make them do anything, wouldn't that be a side effect you would possibly ask for? Mm -hmm. Does he just get off on the danger of it? Death is a boring side effect. Yeah. Statistically, you probably weren't going to die at Kavinsky's party. I still don't think I'd take the chance. Yeah. Every year, there were dozens of cars waiting to be flogged on the drag strip. No one knew who provided them. Again? Dreamed? For years? Yeah. Last year, Kavinsky had supposedly sent a firework so far in the air that the CIA had come to his house to question him. Blue found this story somewhat suspect. Surely it would have been the Department of Homeland Security instead. (laughs) So I tried looking it up to see, but I couldn't find any definite rule on who would come knocking on your door if you did this. Uh And I was afraid to look too hard because I didn't want to become, I didn't want to get on any watch list. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I find it so hilarious that you are worried about being on a watch list. Because if you're not a watch list, what are you doing with your life? Like, come on. (laughs) This year, two ambulances and four cops parked half a mile from the drag strip. Close enough to be there, not close enough to watch. And I can totally see a small town reacting like this to someone like Kavinsky. I just don't get it. (laughs) They let him get away with so much. I know. Kavinsky was untouchable. My first instinct was, well, not really. But it is basically Kavinsky who takes himself down. Yeah. And this isn't the first time that the sentiment has been stated because rumor had it Kavinsky had laughed and then told the judge that he'd never get pulled over again. He probably wouldn't. Rumor had it Kavinsky's father had bought off Henrietta Sheriff's. And that was page 25. So why? Bribes? Like the police don't want to get involved with his general mayhem? (sighs) Probably not. And I will point out that I know small towns where someone has stolen something or, you know, done something and and people know where they are Mm -hmm. and will tell the police like, hey, this is where they're going to be. They work for me. They're going to be right here. Right. And the police won't come and pick them up. Huh. Yeah. (laughs) Small towns in the South are messed up. Yeah. Anyway, so the drag strip, a long, dusty field cut into the hills around it, was already packed when they got here. And this description so makes me think of the strip mall in my hometown, and I'll find some pictures. Hmm. It's literally cut into a hillside. Huh. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Barbecued grills scented the air with charcoal and neglected hot dogs. There was no sign of alcohol, nor of the infamous cars that supposedly populated the drag strip later. So at this point, it feels like a run-of-the-mill block party community celebration. Mm Mm-hmm. Ah, small town 4th of July. Mm -hmm. In my town, everybody gathered in the Central Park to set off fireworks after the mandatory 4th of July parade where everybody better be wearing red, white, or blue. <laughs> wow. Yeah. It was... Uh, mandatory parade? Well, it felt mandatory. Okay. Let me put it that way. If you didn't show up to the fucking 4th of July parade, you were a pariah. A parada. <laughs> of course, my dad drove his Camaro convertible in the parade every year. Nice. Mm. Ronan stared at a girl holding a balloon as if she were a bewildering creature. <laughs> I wonder how much of that is Ronan's tough guy image and how much of that is him being like, why TF are their kids here? Yeah. 
Or he might be in shock. Well, that's true, too. Gansey asks, are you sure this is Kavinsky's? And I have to admit, I'd be a little confused, too, especially if I'd been to the substance party. Mm-hmm. It's early, Blue said. She glanced around herself. She was torn between wanting to be recognized by someone from school and wanting to not be seen running with Aglimbu boys. Blue both wanting to be seen for her true, most comfortable self and fearing being rejected and ridiculed for it. Yeah, flashes of the scene where Gansey and Henry come to pick her up at school. Uh-huh. <laughs> Ronan is getting more and more agitated. He's freaking out that they're not going to be able to find Matthew in the crowd. Mm-hmm. Either that or he's offended by the music. <laughs> <laughs> I had to look up what Yacht Rock actually was. You have to tell me what it is later. <laughs> oh, nope, I've got it in the notes. All ah. right. <laughs> From an article in Houstonia Magazine, Yacht Rock is music primarily created between 1976 and 1984 that can be characterized as smooth and melodic and typically combines elements of jazz, rhythm and blues and rock. You'll hear very little acoustic guitar, get that horse with no name out of here, but a lot of Fender Rhodes electric piano. Okay. Lyrics don't get in the way of the song's usually high musicality. The lyrics may, however, speak about fools. (laughs) (laughs) The songs are as light and bubbly as champagne on the high seas, yet oddly complex and intellectual. Okay. (laughs) And people were dragging their younger kids away from Ronan. Yeah. (laughs) He's probably looks super intimidating right now. Absolutely. He's panicked. They do an exhaustive search. And as the evening slips into nightfall, the character of the party subtly changed. Mm -hmm. Then the adults started to go, replaced by seniors and college kids. Red plastic cups started to appear. The yacht rock got darker, deeper, filthier. You can hear the transformation into Kay's domain as the sun goes down. Yeah, it's getting that gritty edge again. Mm -hmm. A girl comes by and offers them a pill. This was so far from Richard Gansey's scene that he had no words at all. Gansey rules the day. This is Kavinsky's kingdom. Mm-hmm. And then Ronan flicked the pill out of the girl's hand onto the ground. She spit in his face and walked off. Ronan, on the other hand, can handle himself here just fine. Right. I thought that Blue refusing the pills with searing nerves, Gansey being oblivious, bordering on rudeness, and Ronan being direct and aggressive was a pretty good summation of who they are as people. Yeah, it is. Ronan turned in a slow circle. Where are you, you bastard? The floodlights came on. The crowd whooped. He has been summoned. (laughs) Yep. Engines revved high, and the crowd pressed back to admit the cars. Every hand was up in the air, jumping, dancing, celebrating. Someone shouted, God bless America! Welcome to the worst part of back home, folks. Ugh. (laughs) Though admittedly, the language ratchets up the tension with the short, punchy descriptors. Uh Ten white Mitsubishis drove onto the drag strip. They were identical. Black yawning mouths, shredded knife graphic, blah, 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 blah. One Mm. tore down the strip in front of the others and then jerked sideways to skid before a massive boom of dust. An mm-hmm. auditory signal for a visual phenomenon. Right. The crowd went wild. You have to hand it to Kay. He does have a flair for the dramatic. Yeah, he does. So Ronan sees the Mitsubishi and takes off running, leaving Gansey and Blue behind. The dust had cleared and Kavinsky was visible standing on its roof. 
God, I'm so looking forward to seeing this in the flesh, so to speak, with the TV show. Yeah, it'll be cool. Let's burn something, Kavinsky howled. He really does just want to watch the world burn. Or himself, or Ronan. (laughs) I will burn you down, Kavinsky said. Ronan's smile was sharp as a knife. He had already burned to nothing. You wish. (laughs) That's page Mm -hmm. 324. Kavinsky snapped his fingers, pointing. There was a hiss and a whine, and suddenly the first firework of the night spiraled up into the chaotic blue high above the floodlights. He laughed loud and wild. Fuck you all! (laughs) Hot shit. I think I'm a little attracted to Kavinsky at this point. You think? (laughs) Yeah. But honestly, a part of my heart hurts for the lost, sad boy in the middle of all the staging and spectacles. Mm -hmm. I don't like this, Scanzi shouted into Blue's ear. But there was no other way. Normally, I would say there's always another way, but I think in this case, there might not be. Yeah. They caught up to Ronan just as he reached Kavinsky, who now stood next to the open door of the car. Whatever the opening volley had been, it had been unpleasant. (laughs) That is almost certainly in the top ten understatements of the century. Uh Uh-huh. It's Daddy. Dick, that's a strangely hetero partner you have there tonight. Lynch having performance issues? Ew. (laughs) Okay, look. I'm awful, but it's also funny. But okay, you're letting your daddy issues show again. (laughs) Ronan grabbed Kavinsky's throat, and for once, Blue wasn't displeased. Me neither, Blue. Mm-hmm. Another firework screamed into the black overhead. Lightning arced past it. Foreshadowing. Mm-hmm, exactly. Screamed like a dragon. Mm-hmm. Where is he? Ronan snarled. It was barely words. He is mad and scared and beyond rational thought right now. Kavinsky seemed fairly unconcerned, and then he points right to the one Matthew is in first. Before pointing to the others. (laughs) You know these things. They all look alike. Why do I feel like I'm missing a joke here? I mean, other than they are identical, but like there's anyway, there's like, yeah, anyway. Here's the thing, Lynch, Kavinsky said. When I said with me or against me, I didn't really think you'd pick against me. Mm. And Ronan never envisioned any way in which he could have picked with me. Yeah. And there we have the root of the problem. Right. Blue does some quick calculations on how they're going to keep track of the Mitsubishis that they've checked. All of the cars were identical with the same Virginia license plate, Thief. From a post on Maggie's blog, After about 10 hours of driving, we arrived at the Canadian border. I arrived first, and though I turned down my music, Canada didn't seem happy to see me. (laughs) Canada, what is your destination? Me, a rally race in Bancroft. Canada, what's that? Me, a car race on gravel roads with lots of jumps and cliffs and stuff. Canada, why would you do something like that? Me, are you questioning my life choices? Canada, coldly, explain your license plate. (laughs) Me, it's a reference to my next novel. It's sort of spoilery, I can't tell you. Canada, we need to see you in the office. (laughs) And then they sent me to be questioned in the building where all of the other punks sat while Canada searched their cars for drugs and illegal fruits and vegetables. (laughs) That's what you get for a thief license plate. Mm -hmm. But in a way, Kavinsky added, it's better this way. You know how I like things to explode. Ronan said, I want my brother. First, Kavinsky said, opening his palm, revealing a green pill. Save your life. I'll be right back, sweetie. No option for Ronan not to play. 
Also, why is this important to Kay? Is he in any way still thinking that he's pushing Ronan, like in a mentor capacity, to be better? I, I don't know. Yeah. Kavinsky takes the pill and then slumps to his knees against the car. Blue and Gansey, who haven't seen this before, are uncomprehending. His veins were raised roads up his arms, the pulse in his jaw pounding out the base. Dying? Boring side effect. Mm. Ronan, cursing the whole time, immediately goes for a pill himself, knowing where they will be because of the previous weekend. I'm still like, didn't Ronan have pills in his jeans? But I guess technically a night has passed, so maybe he's actually changed his clothes. I find that, of all things, to stretch my disbelief. Because, <laughs> like, didn't he, he didn't take the one that was in his pocket. Or maybe he did. He did not, because oh. he specifically did not take a pill to dream the night before. Right, okay. So Ronan tells Blue and Gansey what's happening. Gansey asks, can we stop him? Only if you kill him, Ronan replied. Unfortunately, that's kind of the case. Yeah. He stuffed the pill in his mouth. Get Matthew and get the hell out of here. Think he's worried he's going to lose? Or is he still hoping that if Matthew is gone, he can stop Kay without killing him? Mm-hmm. Or is he just afraid that even if he does win, one or more of Gansey, Blue, and Matthew will be collateral damage? Yeah, I don't think at this point he's making any decisions past what needs to happen immediately. Mm-hmm. And we know that Ronan is an incredibly protective person. So, of course, he's going to make Matthew his first priority. Right. And also try to get Blue and Gansey out of there if he can. Uh-huh. And also, he has to know that Blue and Gansey would never leave him. Right. Okay. Chapter 61. It's a Ronan and Adam POV. Ronan chases Kavinsky into their secret place. Ronan tries to talk Kay down. Kay dreams a dragon. And Adam shows up to help. Ronan hurtled into the dream. At first, I thought this was the same feeling as the pills he took to dream during the weekend. I noticed we had a lot of the same notes this time around. I had put down the same thing. Mm-hmm. But then, when he landed, elbows scuffing blood on the dirt, he literally falls. Thankfully, I don't have falling dreams very often because I hate them. Mm. <laughs> falling is one of my big fears. Oh. Kavinsky was already there. The trees Ronan knew so well were attacking him. Claws of branches. Caveswater has had enough of this shit. Yeah. How could things have gone differently if Kay was a Grey Warren instead of a thief? That's a good question. Someone who actually worked with the uh-huh. dream energy. It was as if the dream painted him a usurper. Uh, yeah, many thieves, one Grey Warren. And I wonder if this is where one of Maggie's other license plates comes from, usurper. Mm-hmm. Some nights, Kaminsky said, all teeth, you just take it. Consent is overrated. Ew, gross. Literally, I had ugh, gross. <laughs> On the flip side, what could have happened in Kavinsky's life to make him believe that's true? That's it's a good question. Yeah. The branches shook over them both. Thunder grumbled and smashed. Close and real, real, real. Mm-hmm. I love thunderstorms, but this one sounds really scary. Like the whole world is mad. And what does this mean? That he's got the real thunder in his head? Are they in some sort of like a halfway place? Yeah, that's a really good question. Yeah. And like, you know, Adam showing up later. And yeah. Like, yeah. It's obviously still the dream, but he's getting influences from the real world. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting. Mm-hmm. Reality is what other people dream for you. 
That sounds like a bad motivational meme, Kavinsky. <laughs> Real bad. <laughs> <laughs> and yet I can still see a little bit of where he's coming from. Yeah, like how much of our realities are dictated by other people's expectations? A lot. A lot, yeah. And I don't think he likes living that way. Mm-hmm. He doesn't like the fact that reality is consensual. Yeah, well, there's that too. <laughs> Reality is where other people are, Ronan replied. What's here, Kay? Nothing. No one. It's actually a little reassuring to hear Ronan make an argument for staying in the world. Yeah. Ronan says that no one's there, and Kay replies, just us. There was a heavy understanding in that statement, amplified by the dream. Finally, Ronan is understanding how much Kay wants someone like him. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, another dreamer. Right. I know what you are, Kavinsky had said. That's not enough, Renan replied. Renan needs someone who knows who he is. Right. And it also has that flip meaning, you know, dreamer, but also another, which Kay brings up next, that Kavinsky knows that Ronan is attracted to men. Mm-hmm. Don't say Dick Gansey, man. Do not say it. He is never going to be with you. And don't tell me you don't swing that way, man. I'm in your head. Kavinsky may have known Renan was gay long before Renan was able to admit it to himself, but he is as clueless as to what Ronan wants from a relationship as Ronan was about Kavinsky being gay or bi. Yeah. But there are questions from the reader's perspective. Was this a shock, like, to you? Did you see it coming? Did you understand what Kay meant the first time you read it? I understood, but it was kind of like a, oh, oh, because uh, I'm clueless when it comes to stuff like that. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I had friends say that they did not, I think maybe I've said this on the podcast, but they did not pick up on pinch until there was kissing. Yeah, I'm you as well, <laughs> because because they were so used to having the shipping glasses on. Ah, uh, so they were like, we're just shipping it. And then all of a sudden they were kissing and they were like, wait, what? <laughs> How did when did that actually happen? Mm-hmm. But yeah, I can see that even this some people might kind of not pick up on right. that. It's it actually is a pretty subtle way of putting it, mm-hmm. which some people have argued was not the best way to put it. But mm-hmm. that's not what Gansey is to me, Ronan said. He seems so calm here, so open. And you think it's because that he's in the dream? Yeah, I think that's part of it. But I also think it's that he doesn't feel like he owes Kavinsky anything. Mm-hmm. You know, whether that's right or wrong is debatable. Mm-hmm. But for Ronan, the weekend with Kavinsky was intimate in a lot of ways, but not intimate in the ways Kavinsky wanted it to be. Right. You didn't say you don't swing that way. Ronan was silent. No, I didn't. This is the closest he has come so far to openly admitting his sexuality. And I can almost see the, wait, he's right, look on Ronan's face. Yeah, I don't see it so much as an epiphany, really, in that as more like Ronan has decided to stop hiding from it. Because at the beginning, the second secret was perfect in its concealment. Uh Like it was, it was there, but he wasn't telling himself that there was something there. Right. Like, he was trying to make it go away by ignoring it, but it's been there in the background and Ronan just refused to acknowledge it. Right. That makes it worse, man. You really are just his lapdog. There wasn't even a tiny part of Ronan that was stung by this statement. Kaminsky just cannot grasp a relationship like Ronan and Gansey's, and Ronan is just beyond caring. And I feel like Kavinsky is almost like the epigraph at the beginning of the book. I loathe the people who keep dogs. They are cowards who haven't got the guts to bite people themselves. <laughs> and that's August Strindberg. And unfortunately, I wasn't able to find much about that quote, specifically from the amount of digging around that I could do, mm-hmm. kind of cursory amount of digging around that I could do. 
So Ronan thinks of the gray man mentioning brothers earlier, and that's what Gainsey is to him, a brother. Mm-hmm. Ronan said, life isn't just sex and drugs and cars. Again, this feels a little weird coming from Ronan, but I'm glad he thinks this. It shows that he's changed. It's mm-hmm. a direct argument against what he said in the Substance Party chapter when Gansey said Kavinsky, with a little laugh in his voice, still dismissive. He thinks he owns this place. He thinks life is a music video. Ronan said, you don't see the appeal? Mm-hmm. That's page 219. Kavinsky's heavy-lidded eyes held Ronan's, and Ronan thought of all the times he had looked through the window of his BMW and seen Kavinsky looking back. The illicit thrill of it. The certainty that Kavinsky didn't let anyone tell him who he was. What was Ronan attracted to? The adrenaline? The sneaking around? The freedom? The destructiveness? All of the above? Yeah. Kavinsky said, mine is... I do feel sorry for him. Or rather, I wish he had let himself have something more. Or that he was given the chance to have something more. That's true. He looked to the woods. Holding on his hand, he snapped his fingers, just as he had to cue the first firework. This seems like such an intuitively correct gesture to me. Mm -hmm. Just like, the forest screamed. Or whatever Kavinsky had manifested had screamed. Probably birth. Mm-hmm. The trees shimmered and wept, sagged and flickered. This is killing them. And that's why Adam is there. Mm-hmm. And why Adam and Ronan work, because Adam supports Ronan in his dreaming. Ronan dreams what Adam needs to do his work. Mm-hmm. They're so good for each other. Mm-hmm. It was a ball of fire, an explosion in flight. It was a dragon and a bonfire and an inferno and teeth. It was the destruction of the Mitsubishi made into a living creature. And I have such a clear mental image of what this thing looks like. It's beautiful and terrifying. Yeah, awe-inspiring too. Mm -hmm. It was the roaring hiss of a fire dampened with water. Sparks rained onto Ronan's shoulders. And in the acknowledgments of the Dream Thieves, Maggie says, Dad, thanks for the dragons. What a lovely gift. Better than trebuchet. (laughs) Trebuchet. The only thing that the gray man's dad ever oh, gave him was... Right. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, how did I forget that? Uh-huh. He could feel how it hated him, how it hated Kavinsky, too. How it hated the world. It was so hungry. All of Kavinsky's destructive impulses made manifest. And anger, perhaps justified, at a world that didn't do much to support him. Mm-hmm. Kavinsky looked at Ronan, his eyes dead. Try and keep up, Lynch. Then both he and the dragon vanished. He'd woken up and taken it with him. And this is chilling in about a million ways, but the eyes are the main thing. Followed closely by, oh my god, he just brought a dragon into the real world. Uh-huh. Hurry. We're back into a frantic Adam and Persephone standing at the edge of a man-made lake where Gansey had found the shield boss and Camaro hubcap earlier that week. Mm -hmm. And at this moment, the ley line goes dead inside Adam. And that is almost as creepy to me as Kavinsky's dead eyes. It seems Mm -hmm. like it would feel to Adam like a part of him had just died. Yeah. Adam reflects on the fact that he'd been so certain that Ronan was the reason for their urgency. And he knew that Kavinsky pulled something huge from the line. Mm -hmm. And then this made me think of, from the Raven King, Gansey texts Ronan. It was Gansey. Parrish wants to know if you've killed yourself dreaming just now. Please advise. (laughs) That's page 35. So obviously, Adam continues to be able to feel whenever a dreamer pulls something from the line. Mm -hmm. 
Vernon needed the ley line. He needed it now. There was no more time. I can feel how panic-inducing that would be. Someone you love needs something, and you should be able to give it to them, and then you just can't. Mm -hmm. But the ley line was dead, and Caveswater had no voice inside Adam. How isolated and alone would that make you feel? Yeah. I mean, obviously, he's having a hard time with it. And Mm -hmm. he has a hard time with it later. Mm -hmm. All he had was this flat black mirror of a lake. It's another mirror, lake, or scrying surface. And a car full of stones and a bag of cards that no longer said anything to him. But a magician synthesizes his tools. Mm -hmm. Like, that's the essence of what he does. What do we do? He asked Persephone. Well, I don't know. Yeah. And that just made me laugh. Yeah. He snaps at Persephone. You're psychic. Calm down, Adam. This is all on you, buddy. You're Mm -hmm. psychic, too. From the Opal short story, I can still feel the ley line, Adam had explained to the ladies with the bread when they'd come over one night. I didn't think I'd be able to, now that I'm not tied to the line anymore. I was never tied to it, one of the ladies had replied, and I've always felt it. But you're a psychic. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And even here, he denies that he's inherently magical. I'm not. Caveswater makes me that way. Your power, Adam, isn't about other people, isn't about other things. Mm -hmm. Adam had never been powerful in his life. He is, though, and he always has been. Mm Mm-hmm. Persephone tells him, the magician sees what is out there and finds connections. The magician can make anything magical. And this idea just resonates with me so hard. Mm-hmm. Adam wishes that the ley line would just give him a little bit of a hint, any sort of clue on how to fix this last part. But as Persephone just said, being the magician is about finding the tools within. Mm-hmm. Now, Persephone said, her voice was very small and soft. Are you the magician or aren't you? Persephone seems to know just how to reach Adam, soft voice and confidence in him. She is so what he needs. Mm -hmm. Adam closes his eyes to clear his mind and then a moment later thinks of the rocks in the car and knows what he has to do. Connections. How often in the Raven Boys or earlier in the Dream Thieves have we talked about Adam making the preternatural connections? Mm -hmm. Lightning. He'd been thinking it all along. Mm -hmm. He had already made the connection he needed before he even got to this site. Both Adam and Ronan have powerful realizations about themselves in this single chapter. Mm -hmm. Hurry. How many times had I counted it before? I don't remember. I don't Way too many to keep track of. Yeah. Adam shows up in Ronan's dream. Ronan seems both happy and surprised to see him, which I find adorable. Not only that, but Ronan calls Adam by his first name when he sees him. Adam? Ronan demanded. Is it really you? Names have power. And he does say that he dreams about Adam often, so it makes sense that he would question this reality. Uh Was it the real Adam, or was it a dream Adam? Uh Ronan notices that he was himself, but he was something else, stranger, farther away. Uh Adam asks Ronan what Kavinsky has just dreamed, and Ronan replies, a firefucker, which I find both an apt description and absolutely hilarious. It 100% cracks me up, yes. (laughs) Adam then asks, what are you dreaming to take it down? He's 100% practical and solution-based. They both work on action in a lot of ways. Yeah, but Ronan says, nothing. There's nothing here. Ronan at this moment has no power, no hope, no direction. He's on the edge of despair, it Mm -hmm. feels like to me. And Adam says that he's fixing it like the mechanic he is. Mm -hmm. Sleep was collapsing around him. He's losing his grip on the dream. Mm -hmm. Hurry. Adam looked up at Ronan. I know it was you, he said. I figured it out. The rent. 
Is now really the time for this? Now is absolutely the time for this. Okay. Adam is giving Ronan something to fight for, something to concentrate on beyond the panic that he's feeling. Okay, that makes sense. He held Ronan's gaze for just a moment longer until something inside Ronan unwound and he almost said something. And when I was reading, I was like, okay, definitely not the time for this. Flirt later, boys. Right. (laughs) Yeah, I definitely think this is the time because the operative phrase is something inside Ronan unwound. Mm -hmm. He's able to actually focus again. This exchange with Adam has loosened him up. Right. But I really wish I knew what Ronan almost said. (laughs) That would be fun to find out. The trees are angry, calling Ronan a raptor and a thief. The trees calling Ronan a raptor is a bit shivery considering call down the hawk. Mm-hmm. A raptor is an old word for thief as well. Mm-hmm. Like to take. Mm-hmm. Ronan tries to reason with them. I'm not him, all right? I'm not like him. Damn it, you know me. Haven't you always? Didn't you know my father? We're both Grey Warrens. This was Ronan's assumption and probably the reader's as well. Mm-hmm. Orphan Girl shows up at this point and shakes her head, telling Ronan that he is the only one. Many thieves, one Grey Warren. Too bad I already made my Highlander joke. Right, and there can be only one. <laughs> there can be only one Highlander <laughs> joke. <laughs> hmm. How many could make their dreams real? How few could speak to the dream? How he was meant to be Caveswater's right hand, didn't he know? Asked Caveswater, but not with words. Hadn't he known all along? First off, I think that was supposed to be kind of a joke because, like, wasn't it Adam who was supposed to be Caveswater's right hand because he's supposed to be Caveswater's hand and eyes? Oh, okay. <laughs> I thought it was like a literal statement, and I'm like, that's sorry, kind of I... yes and no, but yeah, it's okay. All right, yeah, there's that, and that is kind of a connection with Adam because, like, they're both connected to yeah Caveswater in that mm-hmm. way. I'm looking forward to finding out more about how this works in the Dreamer trilogy. Yes, I want to know what makes Ronan so special. Mm-hmm. Ronan pleads with Orphan Girl and Caveswater for help. I had to figure everything out myself, and it took a fucking long time, okay? Because your dad was an ass. Yep. He suddenly fills the puzzle box in his hands. He turns it to say, please. What's that? Ronan being polite? Mm. And asks the trees for help in their language. Is this the real-life puzzle box? Did it somehow teleport into his hands? Or is this another copy? It could be another copy. Mm Mm-hmm. Only now did he realize how many trees hadn't been speaking before. Well, that's disconcerting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's creepy AF. Yeah. Muttering and whispering and hissing in three different languages, they all agreed they would help him. What three languages? English, Latin, and tree light? Yep. Okay. In the blackness of his closed lids, he heard, tick, 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 tick. Those things are flippin' terrifying. <laughs> Dream to nightmare, just like that. He expects it to be attracted to his Mm self-hatred. There was no real fear, just dread, anticipation. It took so long to kill him in a dream. Oh. The trees whispered the phrase that means, a sword is never a killer, it is a tool in the killer's hand. Here, what they are saying is that the night horror does what Ronan wants it to do. Mm -hmm. But Ronan thinks he can't control them, they only want to hurt him. And even in that, they are doing what he wants them to do. Yep. The description of the night horror is super interesting and, and chilling. Yeah. A night horror appeared. 
It surged over the trees, blocking out the sky. It was like nothing he had dreamt before. Three times the size of the others, reeking of ammonia, glacially white. The claws were yellowed and translucent, darkening to red tips. Pink veins stood out on the tattered rag wings. Its red albino eyes were tiny and furious in its wrinkled head. And instead of one ferocious beak, there were two, side by side, screaming in unison. Holy shit. Seriously? Yeah, that's creepy. Yeah. And then on the other side of the lake, Adam held up his hands, pointing at the sky, calling to the lightning. Mm-hmm. And it's part of the pose of the magician, yeah. too. He was an alien version of himself. But he's always been described as alien. Mm-hmm. A dream version of himself. Maybe I dreamt you, he said. Thanks for the straight teeth, then, Adam replied. That's <laughs> <laughs> chapter one of Blue Billy Lily Blue. <laughs> Lightning struck the stone beside him. Like a heart, the ley line jerked and spasmed to life. <laughs> I'm reminded of the Frankenstein. It's alive, bitch. Yeah. Cabe's water was alive. Insert young Frankenstein clip here. <laughs> It's only you, whispered orphan girl. She was holding his hand, crouched next to him. Why do you hate you? Hmm. Like Persephone asking Adam if he is the magician. Here, Ronan needs his psychopomp to lead him through to the truth. Mm -hmm. Ronan thought about it. The albino night horror swept in, talons opening. Ronan stood up, stretching out his arm like he would to chainsaw. I don't, he said, and he woke up. My boy. (laughs) (laughs) Here he is calling forth that manifestation of self-hatred, much like Kavinsky pulled forth the thing that represented the anger, the destruction, the loathing in his heart. Mm. This short scene is so important for Vernon. He's finally voiced who he is and is accepting it. Yeah, this is absolutely my favorite moment in the book and quite possibly my favorite moment in the whole series. This means so much to me. Mm-hmm. It doesn't fix everything for Ronan. He's still got a lot of work. Mm-hmm. But it is a big step on the path to being a healthier version of himself. Right. And Maggie, in her recent live tweet reread of The Dream Thieves, said, This was the part where initially I turned in the draft and told my editor it was done, except for a few finishing touches. He replied back, Everything is still literally on fire. And I said, yes, but he loves himself. So (laughs) I told him not to worry. There would be dragons. And he was like, wait, what? Me, BRB getting dragons. Okay, we are going to get into the dragon deep dive. And in honor of the albino night horror and or the dragons, I am drinking White Claw. Woo-hoo. Which is hard seltzer. It's real gross, you guys. <laughs> I had one of these when I went camping and went, well, that was a mistake. Aww. But White Claw. I figured it was thematically appropriate. <laughs> All right, Shannon gets to talk first anyway. Okay, so yeah, today we get to talk about my favorite mythological creature. You would think that as much as I love cats, it would be sphinxes, but they're only third. Unicorns are second. (laughs) Oh my gosh, we're ranking mythological creatures now? (laughs) 
I break everything. Okay. I'm trying okay. to think what mine are, but anyway, continue. Okay. So Lexico.com, which is powered by Oxford, defines a dragon as a mythical monster like a giant reptile. In European tradition, the dragon is typically fire-breathing and tends to symbolize chaos of evil, whereas in East Asia, it's usually a beneficent symbol of fertility associated with water and the heavens. And where dragons might have come from, like just the myth of dragons in general, there are some ideas it could have been dinosaurs or other large animal skeletons. Mm -hmm. A theory is that people who discovered dinosaur or maybe even like whale skeletons Mm -hmm. before we knew what they were developed stories of dragons to explain them. Mm -hmm. And this idea makes total sense to me. I mean, we're pretty certain now that sauropods didn't have wings, but do we really know for sure that they didn't breathe fire? Oh my god. (laughs) This is an audio medium and you did not just hear my eyes roll into the back of my head. (laughs) Another option would have been Nile crocodiles and other large reptiles. Reaching up to eight feet in length, the Nile crocodile is one of the largest crocodile species. And unlike many other croc species, they're capable of something called the high walk, which means they can move with their trunks lifted off the ground. Mm Mm-hmm. And one theory is that these huge crocs could have had a much larger range in ancient times and occasionally made their way across the Mediterranean to Greece or Italy. Mm-hmm. And that could have led to dragon myth because like, you know, an eight foot long crocodile walking yeah. up to you. And a similar thing may have happened with goannas or monitor lizards in Australia. Mm-hmm. And another probably very likely explanation is the human brain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Anthropologist David E. Jones hypothesizes that the trait of fearing large predators such as pythons and birds of prey, has been selected for in hominids. And in more recent times, he argues, these universal fears have been frequently combined in folklore and created the myth of the dragon. And personally, I think it's a combination of probably a bunch of these Right. I mean, even if crocodiles weren't coming over the Mediterranean, sailors were going Uh and seeing eight-foot-long crocodiles and coming back with stories. Right. One of the most applicable examples of the imagery found in the Raven Cycle is tied to one of the first prophecies of Merlin when he was a boy. Uh Sometimes called the Prophecy of the Two Dragons, it reveals the coming of Arthur and the future of Britain, making Merlin the leading soothsayer and sorcerer of his time. Uh King Vortigern was battling with the Saxons and had lost much of his territory before fleeing into Wales, where he meant to build a stronghold. Uh But legend says, says every day whatever portion of the wall had been built the day before collapsed overnight. According to Nennius, a 9th century monk and writer, his advisors informed him that he would have to seek out a young boy not conceived by a mortal man, aka the devil, mm-hmm. kill the boy and use the boy's blood mixed with mortar to build his foundation so the building would not crumble. The advisors, of course, just so happened to know of such a boy, and the fact that this boy was prophesied to cause their own deaths had nothing to do with it, of course. (laughs) And Merlin, who was rumored to be without a father, was brought before the king. Mm -hmm. Merlin called the advisors fools and told the king of a vision he had. The foundation was being built on unstable ground with a pool of water underneath. A cave? A pool of water? Hmm. (laughs) 
Underneath the pool was two sleeping dragons, one red dragon, the other white. Mm -hmm. The walls would continue to collapse as long as the dragons woke up and fought and rumbled underground. Hmm. Okay. The vision itself is more metaphorical than this, depending on the version that you've read. Okay. Some of them have, like, vases with tents inside of them, and the tents, they pull them open and their dragons painted on the tents. And some of them have the dragons actually bursting free and fighting and all of that. So it depends. Merlin then foretold a series of prophecies about Britain. He predicted that the red dragon of Wales, King Vortigern, would be defeated by the white dragon of Britain, King Uther Pendragon, Mm -hmm. which later happened. Mm -hmm. Other versions of the story say that all of this took place on Salisbury Plain instead of in Wales. In this version, Merlin supposedly told Vortigern that he would not be able to build the fortress there at all, that the site would need to be dedicated to a temple. He then built that temple himself overnight, using his magic to bring standing stones from Ireland and to arrange them on the plain. That is, of course, how Stonehenge was built. Okay. (laughs) Stonehenge is much older than that. (laughs) But yeah, anyway. (laughs) However, as with many other important events in the Arthurian world, the seeds of this event were sown centuries earlier before Roman rule. A king of Britain named Lula Arendt in the Mabinogian, or King Lud in Joffrey's work. From the website Under the Influence, Myths, Legends, Folklore, and Tales from Around the World, the tale went like this. Every year on the eve of May Day, a terrible shrieking scream was heard throughout the length and breadth of the realm, sounds like my cat, Mm. caused by two dragons fighting each other. One of the dragons was red and the other was white. When the white dragon fought the red dragon, it caused it to make the fearful shrieking cry. It was this terrible scream that was heard throughout the country, searing into the very hearts of the people, causing great fear and anxiety among them. The scream was so awful it caused strong men to wax pale and fall weak, women would lose their babies, and young men and maidens would become bereft of their senses. Furthermore, all creatures, plants and trees, waters, and the earth itself became barren and infertile. Also interesting to note, from the Historic UK website, Owen Glendower used a dragon banner known as the Golden Dragon. It was raised over Carnarfon during the Battle of Tuthill, Tuthill? In 1401, as a symbol of revolt against the English, Glendower chose to fly the standard of a golden dragon on a white background, which was supposedly the traditional standard that Uther Pendragon had flown a thousand years before and passed down to his son Arthur. The red dragon standard was brought back to England by the House of Tudor, the Welsh dynasty that held the English throne from 1485 to 1603. It signified their direct descent from one of the noble families of Wales. The green and white stripes of the flag were editions of Henry VII, the first Tudor king, representing the colors of his standard. There was a lovely piece of fan art that Maggie recently retweeted that touched on this legend as an inspiration for the fight between Kavinsky's dragon and Ronan's white night horror. Hilariously, we had already announced we were doing the dragon deep dive, and this legend was one of the biggest reasons why I wanted to do so. (laughs) So. Okay, so creatures that can be called dragons are basically a worldwide phenomenon. Mm -hmm. A relatively short list of places and examples follows. So from Asia, in Armenia, they have the Vishap. 
China, Japan, Korea, and most of East Asia, variations of the Long, like mm-hmm. the Long, what we consider the Oriental or Asian dragon, mm-hmm. or Eastern dragon. Babylon had Abshu, Mushushu, and Tiamat, who we're going to talk about in a minute. Mm-hmm. India had the Naga, which spread to other areas as Hinduism spread. Mm-hmm. Pakamba and Vitra. And then in Europe, while pretty much every country in Western Europe has a version of what we think of as the Western dragon. Mm-hmm. We've talked about the Welsh Red Dragon, and there's a dragon that St. George is said to have slain. Mm-hmm. And North mythology has Jormagander, the World Serpent, and Fafnir. So Africa had, in Egypt, there's Apep, who is part of the Egyptian pantheon mythology. Cool. And in Benin, which is a country in West Africa, they have the Aida Wedo, which is a rainbow dragon. Very cool. Mm-hmm. North America had the Piazza bird and Quetzalcoatl. Mm-hmm. And there are lots of other similar creatures with names I cannot pronounce because they're in Mesoamerican languages that I do not understand. Yeah. <laughs> South America in Brazil is the Boetada and Paraguay has the Teju Jagua and Incas had Amaru. Very cool. Yeah. And now I'm going to talk about Tiamat a little bit, Mm -hmm. who is one of our favorite dragons from (laughs) different mythologies. Right. Some of you may be familiar with Tiamat as the lawful evil dragon goddess of greed and the queen of evil dragons in D&D. Well, that Tiamat is loosely based on the Babylonian goddess of chaos. She is the goddess of the primordial sea and is portrayed as basically a giant sea serpent. Mm -hmm. We learn, however, from Babylonian and Assyrian sculptures and seals that Tiamat was regarded not only as the female watery principle whose waters through union with those of the male principle produced all life but also as a sea dragon with the head of a tiger or griffin with wings four feet claws and a scaly tail hmm. in the myth she basically ends up dying because her kids throw a party and her mate is annoyed oh gosh <laughs> the Enuma Elish then describes the younger generation of gods and their zeal to celebrate their material existence during an elaborate party replete with dancing laughter and music this racket aggravated Apsu who decided that he could not abide by the noise and chaos of these youthful deities and decided to kill them. (laughs) Hearing about this villainous plan, Inki, the crafty god, ensorcelled the divine patriarch and slew him in his sleep. (laughs) When Tiamat was informed of her consort's murder, she flew into a rage and decided to exterminate the younger gods once and for all. (laughs) In her rage, the elder goddess decided to use her generative power for ill, spawning a legion of monstrosities, including other dragons, (laughs) to destroy the young gods. Two of the gods, Inki and Anu, initially attempted to stand against her wrath, but were repelled by her ferocious forces. <laughs> Fearing for their lives, they beseeched Marduk, Inki's powerful son, to stand against the vicious goddess. Once they promised to revere him as king of the gods after his success, the divine hero sallied forth, battled the chaotic goddess and her minions, and eventually overcame her. After Tiamat was destroyed, Marduk dissected her enormous body and used her remains to construct the cosmos. The entirety of the material creation was thus generated, with half of her body as the sky, the other half as the earth, her ribs or thigh bones as the vault of heaven and earth, her monstrous udder as the mountains, her weeping eyes as the source of the tigers and Euphrates, and her poisonous spittle as the earthly moisture, clouds, winds, rain, and fog. Mm-hmm. Kingu, the servant of the saltwater goddess, was captured and was later slain so that his red blood could be mixed with the red clay of the earth to make the bodies of the first humans. Mm-hmm. There we go. And that's Tiamat. Yep. And that's dragons. That's a very brief very, very portion brief. of dragons. <laughs> <laughs> And it still wasn't that brief. It was five pages. Correct. (laughs) Okay, so back to chapters. Chapter 62 is a gray man Ronan point of view chapter. 
The Gray Man tries to rid himself of some hangers-on, and Ronan tries to rescue Matthew. The Ronan-Kavinsky battle reaches its climax. Warning, the end of this chapter is rough. Correct. Aside from ruining the Gray Man's life, the plan to lead the others out of Henrietta had been going exceptionally well. <laughs> I know Maggie uses a lot of dry, sardonic humor in general, but she really lets it flow with the Gray Man point of view bits, and that's part of why I love him. I had virtually the exact same note. A wry sense of humor, even in this. Mm -hmm. He'd sworn and threatened, but really, Green Mantle had already done the worst thing he could manage, so his words lacked force. Good point. Always keep something in reserve. Mm -hmm. <laughs> The other treasure seekers tried to be discreet, but the car and back didn't. That's how he knew it was his brother. His brother always wanted Dean to know. That was part of the game. My brother, my brother, my brother. I want to hug him. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it had been paralyzing at first. Paralyzing. There are lots of venomous attributes given to the gray man's brother. Mm -hmm. And he has to remind himself that he's different now. Thinking of everything he had become as the gray man instead of everything he'd been as Dean Allen. Mm -hmm. Dean Allen kept telling him to pull over and get it over with. It will only be worse, whispered Dean Allen in a small voice, if you make him come looking for you. His brother causes him such gut-wrenching terror. Mm -hmm. And that regression, that response to abuse... It's so similar to Adam's thoughts as well, mm -hmm. because abuse survivors can often become people pleasers as a method of coping and conforming to their abuser's wishes, hoping that it will grant them a sense of safety. Mm -hmm. The gray man, on the other hand, said he is a 39-year-old investment manager, and for efficiency, he should probably just be shot twice in the head and returned to his office with an ambiguous note. Note taken. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Always two headshots. People can survive one. And, of course, he leaves that ambiguous note. Yeah. <laughs> there was a third part of him. This part, perhaps it was Mr. Gray, couldn't stop thinking about everything he was leaving behind. I find it interesting that he is crafting this third persona, mm -hmm. Mr. Gray, and has this only come out because of Henrietta? I think so. The faded and beautiful crevices of the little town, the unapologetic spread of Mora's smile, the new thunder of his suddenly operating heart. It's actually kind of sweet. It's very sweet. This part of him even missed the champagne killjoy. Lol. <laughs> Again, my note was also literally lol. <laughs> Kavinsky's note actually feels more appropriate for the gray man than Ronan to me. This one's for you, just the way you like it. Fast and anonymous. And that note really does show that Kavinsky doesn't know Ronan very well at all, doesn't it? Uh-huh. Ronan, of all people, is not interested in fast or anonymous relationships. Right. Very much not so. Yeah. It was such a brilliant little plan. Slick and simple. All he had to do was give up everything. And it was working so very well. Mm -hmm. And then the machines in the passenger seat start going wild. Not a flicker, not a hint, a blasted shout into the night. And the car behind him reacts as well, slamming on the brakes. Mm -hmm. No, the gray man thought. One of those stupid boys had dreamt back in Henrietta and ruined everything. But that wasn't it, because the readings were solid and screaming. I mean, both of the boys just did dream something back in Henrietta, but a different boy just fixed the ley line. Yeah, they've both been dreaming, but this was definitely Adam. Mm -hmm. <laughs> As the blaring and flashing continues, the gray man puts together that this is the ley line. Not only were the readings constant, they were coming from everywhere. It had to be the line Mora had talked about. Something had happened to it, and now it was alive, blasting these energy readings through the roof. 
He also realizes that if the ley line is giving off readings this strong, no one will be able to follow it to the Grey Warren. Mm-hmm. As long as the ley line was creating such dramatic readings, the Grey Warren was invisible. This is where his plan changes. Mm-hmm. If he can get rid of the second car, the only thing keeping him from staying in Henrietta is his brother. Be brave. Braver than that. Mm-hmm. Now we go back to Ronan and Kavinsky. Mm-hmm. And Ronan had created this night horror to fight Kavinsky's dragon and fight they did. If it works in a dream, it works in real life. Mm-hmm. Fireworks burst past them, illuminating their scales. The crowd, drunk and high and gullible and desirous of wonders, screamed their support. The creatures were beautiful and terrible. Sparks cascaded from them as claws and fire met. I am picturing something looking like a yin-yang, actually. Mm-hmm. And I forgot that I was going to grab this. The chariot card in the Raven Prophecy deck. Have you seen that? I think. It's basically a white beast and a dragon in a yin-yang oh. type of a position. It's very, okay. very cool. A wheeling scream like a firework escaped from the night horror. And as Ronan is watching this fight, he notes Gansey and Blue tearing open the doors on Mitsubishi's looking for Matthew. Gansey and Blue would find him. It would be all right. For Ronan to trust them means so much, really. Mm-hmm. And I adore the descriptions of the dragon. It tucked its gaseous forearms and dove. It hits a flood lamp, but with a bit of foreshadowing, the impact had no effect on the dragon, but the lamp capsized. Mm -hmm. Shocked screams punctuated the air. The lamp tumbled like a tree. Kavinsky's face was alight. Kavinsky still represented by fire. Mm Mm-hmm. No one was really afraid. Why weren't they afraid? It was magic, but somehow nobody believed it was. Mm -hmm. Suspension of disbelief working against them in this case, sort of. Mm -hmm. They aren't afraid because they're expecting a show. Right, a spectacle. Mm -hmm. There were dragons fighting above them, and it was just another party. Mm -hmm. The dragon sped toward where Kavinsky and Ronan stood by the car. Much like Ronan's night horrors, do Kavinsky's dream creatures respond to his self-loathing? Is he self-loathing? And when Ronan says to stop it, is Ronan trying to get Kavinsky to save himself? I I think maybe he is. Mm-hmm. And I think Kay did have a lot of self-loathing. Mm-hmm. I do too. The dragon begins to attack, incinerate, and destroy the Mitsubishis one by one. As its claws shrieked on the metal, the car burst into flame. Huge, destructive. How could the crowd not notice? (laughs) A car flips. Ronan wonders if Matthew was in there. Gansey anticipates his anxiety and waves his arms and shakes his head. Mm -hmm. The dragon gathered itself up. It was obviously preparing to plummet down once more. It was curious, really, how clearly he could see its eyes from that great height. It had terrible eyes. It was not that they were empty, but rather that when you looked past all the flame and smoke and more flames, you could see that deep down inside, the eyes were really just more smoke and flame. Mm -hmm. The destruction of the Mitsubishi made manifest. And Kavinsky himself, burning from the inside. Mm Mm-hmm. The crowd is silent, and in that silence, Kavinsky's laugh was louder than anything. Then, a single scream erupted from the crowd. It was a sort of experimental sound, trying to decide if now, finally, finally, <laughs> fear was the correct response. I could totally see this unfolding. Mm-hmm. A companion to the earlier gaseous forearms, Kavinsky's monster pinned its vaporous legs to its body. <laughs> 
A firework exploded above them all like a toxic flower. I find that interesting. The Japanese word for fireworks is hanabi, which translates to fire flower. Mm-hmm. So, Makes sense. Mm-hmm. People don't freak out until the monsters are literally about to roll over them on the ground in their fight. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I can see that reaction, especially with the kind of stuff they're used to Kavinsky doing. Yeah. There was so much fire. It was as if Kavinsky's dragon were slowly remaking the world in its own image. Mm-hmm. In Kavinsky's image, you mean? Mm-hmm. The dragon heads towards Gansey and Blue. Ronan thinks that he doesn't have to shout to the night horror because it wanted exactly what Ronan wanted. If this is true, is Kay in control of the dragon and attacking Gansey and Blue? Quite possibly. Mm-hmm. Gansey shouts for Ronan to do something and Ronan tries to figure out what his next move should be. Ronan could kill Kavinsky. If he stopped Kavinsky, the dragon stopped. But it was one thing to know this solution. It was a very different thing to look at Kavinsky, his arms stretched over his head, fire in his eyes, and think, I could kill him. And most important, it wasn't true. Ronan couldn't kill him. Not killing someone is generally a good impulse. Yeah. And this is yet another way that Ronan and Kavinsky are very different. Mm -hmm. Kavinsky sees the whole world as eminently replaceable. Right, because he can just dream somebody back. Do whatever he wants. Ronan finally grabs Kavinsky by the collar and demands to know where Matthew is. Kavinsky gestures to the Mitsubishi beside him and Ronan. He's all yours. You missed my point, man. All I wanted was this. He gestured now at the tumbling dragon and night horror. Just wants to watch the world burn. Mm-hmm. He wanted the attention of another dreamer, too. He wanted them tumbling together, using their power, the destructiveness. Mm-hmm. He wanted intimacy with Ronan, and this was the only way he was able to get it. All Kay sees is the skin that Ronan wears, and it's the violence. Mm -hmm. And again, it's so very dangerous to try to put these characters into boxes that diagnose their mental health. Mm -hmm. But Kavinsky exhibits a lot of the symptoms that are in line with borderline personality disorder, such as... An intense fear of abandonment, Mm -hmm. even going to extreme measures to avoid real or imagined separation or rejection. A pattern of unstable, intense relationships, such as idealizing someone one moment and then suddenly believing the person doesn't care enough or is cruel. Rapid changes in self-identity and Mm self-image. We don't see that as much, but we don't see him for very much. We see him for two weeks. Mm -hmm. Periods of stress-related paranoia and the loss of contact with reality. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Impulsive and risky behavior such as gambling, reckless driving, unsafe sex, yep. spending sprees, binge eating or drug abuse or sabotaging success, suicidal threats or behavior or self-injury, often in response to fear of separation or rejection. Mm-hmm. They hold themselves hostage. Wide mood swings lasting from a few hours to a few days. And ongoing feelings of emptiness, inappropriate, intense anger, often being sarcastic or bitter or having physical fights. And again, it's not on Ronan to save Kavinsky. But if he had had the support he needed from the people around him, someone to recognize he was struggling that wasn't a struggling teen themselves, mm-hmm. Kavinsky could possibly have had a much happier ending. And that is, of course, the ultimate And we should just keep the tissues in, in here. 
it's under the it's under the guitar. Thank you. Man. All right. <laughs> and that is, of course, the ultimate tragedy of this book. Mm-hmm. To get back to the scene, of course, as you said, Matthew is in the car that Kavinsky himself drove onto the demonstration grounds. Mm-hmm. Another car had just gone up. The flames were glorious and rolling, bubbling out of the car like thunderclouds. I'm not generally a fire person, but that sounds really pretty, actually. <laughs> Kavinsky scrambled up onto the hood of the Mitsubishi. He was shaking and ecstatic. This is what he wants. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Sad but true. Yeah, it's excruciating. And is this the moment when he decided, or did he have it planned all along? Mm-hmm. Pressing one hand to his concave chest, he fetched his white sunglasses from his back pocket with the other. He put them on, hiding his eyes. The lenses mirrored the furnace around them. It then dawns on Ronan that he is standing next to the only Mitsubishi the dragon hasn't yet destroyed. How the dragon had destroyed each of Kavinsky's dream things here at the Strip. Mm-hmm. And now it came at them, a frenzy of destruction. The night horror flew after it, less graceful, a bit of ash tossed in a nuclear wind. Mm-hmm. Ronan sees the end Kavinsky has chosen, recognizes it as one he had thought about for himself. Mm-hmm. He heard thumping, barely audible over the chaos. Matthew was in the trunk. He darted a look at the dragon. It was flying directly for them, purposeful and malevolent. Ronan lets Matthew out of the trunk. Matthew stumbles toward him drunkenly. Was Matthew drugged or just disoriented? I think both. Mm-hmm. Ronan could smell the fire dragon, all carbon and sulfur. It is just pure fire and anger and destruction. It is. Ronan drags Matthew away, but even as he does this, he yells at Kavinsky to get down multiple times. All this, and he still doesn't want K-Dad. Yeah, he's still trying to save him. Mm-hmm. But Kavinsky didn't look away from the two creatures. He said, Said the world's a nightmare, and you just can't stop crying. And just yeah, mm. because what does this mean? Mm-hmm. What does this mean to a dreamer that the world's a nightmare, or that reality is what other people dream for you? Because what does this actually mean for Kavinsky as a character that he has had this instilled somehow mm-hmm. in his psyche? And to be a dreamer that right, thinks like, that. Yeah, like, he doesn't feel like he has any control, mm-hmm. even though he does. Yeah. Mm. Horror clawed its way up inside Ronan. It was precisely the feeling he'd had when he realized Kavinsky was going to blow up the Mitsubishi at the substance party. Mm-hmm. Mm, I can see that. <laughs> yeah, and I looked that up. Ronan was equal parts exhilarated and horrified to think of the Mitsubishi perishing. So many times, just the first glimpse of its taillights on the road ahead of him had been enough to pump an urgent spasm of adrenaline through him. Mm. Page 215. A second later, the fire dragon exploded into Kavinsky. It went straight through him, around him, flame around an object. Kavinsky fell, not as if he were struck, though, just like when he'd taken the green pill. He crumpled to his knees and then slumped gracelessly off the car. This is horrifying and heart-wrenching yeah and i really feel sad for Kay. yeah 
And for all those people who yell that Kavinsky deserved better, yes, of course, he absolutely deserved better in his life. We've talked about that a little bit. Mm -hmm. He deserved not to be neglected, abused, to live in fear, to feel like he can't control what happens to him. (laughs) Just got to get through it. Just got to power through it. Just got to do it. (laughs) All right. There's a reason why he says the world is a nightmare and consent is overrated. He deserved to live, to get help, and to have people who loved him. And that is what Ronin had. Support. <sighs> a few feet away, the dragon careened into the dirt, limp, non-mortem, somnifratrum. So I feel we're worrying about this when Kavinsky just died, but what are people going to do with a giant sleeping dragon? Oh my god, yes. <laughs> my note was, I don't want to ruin the moment, but what the fuck? <laughs> I thought a dead night horror on the side of the road was bad, but what the hell do you do with a sleeping dragon? <laughs> <laughs> Across the dirt track, one of the Mitsubishis, still smoldering, crashed resoundingly into one of the buildings. Renan didn't have to see the driver to know it was Prokopenko asleep. Mm-hmm. And I wonder what they did with Proko if he survived. I also also questioned this and would they think that he was in a coma from the car crash possibly mm-hmm. i mean that would make the most sense right which meant kavinsky was dead but he had been dying since ronan met him they both had been mm-hmm. oof yeah and it comes through his head dying's a boring side effect of dreaming of life both are true but to feel so hopeless and isolated and suicidal mm-hmm The pair of white sunglasses lay in the dust beside Ronan. He didn't take them. He just held Matthew tightly, unwilling to let him go yet. Oof again. Yeah. Ronan's most precious object. Mm -hmm. He'd had so many nightmares of something happening to Matthew. Mm -hmm. It was a dreadful thing, this night horror. Impossible to understand. But Ronan was done being afraid. There was no fear left. Understandable. Mm -hmm. Matthew, with his voice slurred, asks what's above them. I do think Kay drugged him. Mm -hmm. The night horror looks at Ronan for a moment and then flaps away into the night. Ronan reassures Matthew and Matthew believed him. Why shouldn't he? Ronan had never lied. Exhibit A, your honor, the shoebox. What's that? Ronan held the puzzle box under his arm. A shoebox. Matthew cocked his head, working this out. (laughs) On page 246. Ronan was suddenly unbearably glad to see Gansey and Blue joining him. For some reason, although he had arrived with them, he felt as if he had been alone for a very long time and now no longer wise. Yeah. Let's have a heart emoji next to that. (laughs) Yeah. He has changed. I mean, he's still an asshole, but he has changed. (laughs) That thing, is it one of Dad's secrets? Matthew whispered. You'll see, Ronan replied, because I'm going to tell you all of them. It's like, oh, my heart. Yeah. And Maddie must already know about their dad's secrets, though, since he asked the question. Mm-hmm. Everyone except Ronan seemed to know about his dad's secrets. <laughs> it's like, what secrets are left? <laughs> Chapter 63. It's a gray man POV. The gray man finally deals completely with his Ten of Swords moment. The gray man tries to think of a way to ditch the treasure hunters without having to face his brother and can't. He thinks of Mora's reading. Braver than that. 
And here he's being brave by running away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he thinks the Ten of Swords, the absolute worst it could get. Did we explain the Ten of Swords? I think we did at one point. Okay. Should I read this just in case we Go didn't? Go right ahead. The Ten of Swords shows a man laying face down, apparently dead, with ten swords in his back. That's the rider weight. While the dark sky is ominous, the sun is rising on the horizon, bringing a renewed sense of hope and opportunity. The calm sea in the background also brings solace, suggesting that even in times of darkness, there is a sense of peace and calm to be found. The Ten of Swords marks a painful yet inevitable ending. If it appears in a tarot reading, you may be the victim of another person's betrayal or deceit. The good news is that the Ten of Swords marks the final ordeal. No more pain will come to you from that source. Okay. And then I had another odd thought just thinking about the Gray Man, about a possibility for the origin of the Gray Man's name. I wonder if it took anything at all from the Gray King of the Dark is Rising series, which Maggie has cited as a huge influence. Possibly. You have the gray man thinking about confronting his brother. When we just saw Ronan confronting the gray man, who is the source of his family's issues and almost losing. Mm -hmm. And contrast Adam, Kavinsky, and the gray man. One could say or speculate that they're all abuse victims. Mm -hmm. The gray man thinks of how long his brother had haunted him and taunted him and teased him, even though the gray man had become dangerous in that time himself. The gray man had to let his brother take everything from him. No, trauma doesn't work that way. Mm -hmm. The gray man is victim blaming himself, which so many abuse survivors tend to do. Mm -hmm. And what really was keeping him from facing his brother now? Fear? Could he be any more deadly than the gray man? Could he really take anything more from him? Mm -hmm. And then immediately the gray man thought of Mora's smile again. Yep. That's what he has left to lose. Yeah. I also think it's sweet. He also thinks of just life at Fox Way in general. Mm-hmm. The fuss and noise of 300 Fox Way, of Blue's bright banter, of the tuna fish sandwich of the deli counter, the haunted Blue Mountains calling him home. Mm. <laughs> he wanted to stay. Oh my God, the haunted Blue Mountains bit. <laughs> yeah. Did it make you homesick? <laughs> it does. Yeah. <laughs> Here, the gray man is thinking about coming into his own power. He wanted to stay. In this book, Adam had Persephone, the gray man had Mora, and yes, Ronan had Kavinsky. Mm -hmm. There are parallel themes of mentorship and love throughout these relationships, though there are distinct differences. For example, Persephone didn't have ulterior motives for Adam. Mm -hmm. And so the gray man puts on the kinks, pulls out his gun checking to make sure that Kala hadn't cleverly removed all the bullets. She had not. Do you think that she might have worried a bit about him shooting Ronan? Possibly. Yeah. And pulls off the interstate. So the gray man put on the kinks. Mm -hmm. Do you have a comfort album that is not Christmas music? That's not Christmas music. (laughs) Yes. Specifically Um, not Christmas music. Because I know that was going to be your answer. (laughs) (laughs) Christmas music isn't necessarily comfort. Like, if I'm looking for comfort... I, a lot of times I'll go to, like, 90s country, like the music that I grew up on. Okay. I have a comfort album. What is your comfort album? The Moody Blues. This huh. is the Moody Blues. <laughs> he was going to stay, or he was going to die trying. There's the gray man we love. I love the description of two bleary-eyed truck stops. Nothing said exhaustion like the wide-awake lights of a truck stop. Later, it's called an insomnia light show. Uh-huh. <laughs> 
<laughs> the gray man recognizes his brother's silhouette, and just that causes fear to tickle in his gut. Mm. Through the speakers, the kinks confessed that they no longer wanted to wander. Almost too obvious to point out, huh? Mm-hmm. Here is the thing that the gray man knew about gas stations after dark. They were the best and worst place in the world to kill someone. Mm -hmm. Because between the pumps and this insomnia light show, the gray man was well nigh invincible. He thinks to kill someone here was to be caught. The gray man's brother would not get caught. So the gray man is safe for now, but is his brother a killer? He's expecting his brother to try to kill him, but... Mm -hmm. The gray man pulls close to the pumps, but the gray man's brother pulls into the darkness behind a trash can. The other car hesitated as well, but the gray man rolled down his window and waved them over. After a pause, they pulled up the other direction, driver's window to driver's window. This is so funny to me for some reason. It feels so mundane for a charged situation. He didn't really begrudge them trashing his rooms at the bed and breakfast. He probably would have done it before he knew any better. Well, probably not. But still, they weren't as bad as the ones he'd left in the woods. What were their names? Mr. Rocket T-shirt and something else? I don't remember. And again, possibly too obvious to mention, the kinks shouting, silly boy, you self-destroyer. And Will Patton cracks me up so much with this whole conversation. Hey, man, said the driver, which is the only thing that the driver really says the whole conversation. (laughs) With only the two words, it makes me think of an improv prompt. Yeah, it kind of (laughs) does. The gray man very smoothly convinces the guys who had been trailing him of what he had been unable to convince Green Mantle. That he didn't have the Grey Warren, that it wasn't in Henrietta, and that the readings were from the fault line. And here we see the Grey Man being a bit of a mentor figure himself. How do we know you aren't lying to us? He is? Question mark? <laughs> Let's be honest. I could easily lose you guys in this. He thought, anyway. Probably. It looked fast. I forgot that he was driving that god-awful, super distinctive car. Uh-huh. I lied about the readings because I knew I could get away with it for a while. It's funny that he's lying about lying. Uh (laughs) But then he talks about the fault line. It follows the mountains pretty perfectly. He's not lying about that. Right. Okay, so the gray man had one. Mm -hmm. Here, put my number into your phone. We can stay in touch. (laughs) He's so flippin' smooth. So hilarious. (laughs) And then he makes a point of reminding dude to remember there are cameras around. Yes, yeah. The gray man tapped the end of his nose. He said, that's a tip. Never pet a burning dog. (laughs) Okay. That's my favorite tip. Okay. (laughs) The driver of the other car compliments the license plate. For a moment, the gray man couldn't remember that it said thief. Thanks, he said. I like to tell the truth when I can. Is this the truth or a lie? I, who it seems, knows? I know. It seems like he actually does usually tell the truth. Mm-hmm. The gray man pulls forward into the darkness and his brother follows him. It was a slithering little coop, something that probably looked elegant back in Boston. Poisonous feeling, serpentine. There's a lot of poisonous snake imagery with the gray man's brother. Mm-hmm. A truck stop was the best and worst place to kill someone, because outside of the camera-laden gas pumps, there was often a parking lot for weary truck drivers to snatch some sleep. They were rarely lit, never filmed. Beat 2, which is the flip side of his earlier observation. Mm -hmm. 
This truck stop had a massive parking area, and the gray man led his brother's car to the very farthest edge of it. He stopped behind the grubbiest of the semi-trucks. This was it. This was really it. I love the coolness of the gray man mixed with the absolute terror of Dean Allen here. Mm-hmm. The gray man felt every point of those ten swords piercing him. Pain and overwhelm and giving up. Every gray day wanted him. It would be easiest to just give in. The kinks sang, Night is as dark as you feel it ought to be. There was a lot of talk about sociopaths having frightening eyes, but not the gray man's brother. Even now, sitting there in the coop with that curled smile, he looked like a hero. Sociopaths are incredibly charismatic, actually. Yeah, they are. And it's also recognized that they often have a sort of terrifying stare because they just, like, hold eye contact for an uncomfortably long time, Mm -hmm. thinking that they are making an emotional connection by doing so. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Dean, we're just going to try this one thing. It's another flashback. It's like, fuck, 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 fuck. No. Mm. Over and over and over and thinking about it makes me want to throw up. Mm. Well, little brother, said the gray man's brother. He knew from long experience that his voice alone would paralyze the gray man. Like a snake, it gave him plenty of time to digest his victim. Looks like it's you and me again. Oh, that's chilling. I feel sick. Mm -hmm. And his voice had the effect it always did, a poisonous venom of memories. A decade flashed through the gray man's head. Blade, cut, slice, burn, pick, smear, scream. No real details and not even complete sentences, and it still makes my gut clench. My note was that these words, these flashes of quick feelings, empathetic people will physically feel them. Mm-hmm. The gray man took the gun from the passenger seat and shot his brother. Twice. Really, he said, it's just me. And the gray man won. Mm-hmm. Huge sigh. <laughs> I want to cheer for a man getting shot. What does that say about me? <laughs> he puts on a glove and then transferred the post-it note from his steering wheel to the inside of his brother's car. Just how you like it, fast and anonymous. Pinning it on Kay, not knowing he's dead. <laughs> mm-hmm. They'd see the gray man on the cameras, though. But there are no cameras where he shot him. Right. But they saw the car at the gas station. Mm. I mean, yeah, eh. he's putting Kavinsky's handwriting in a car where his car. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> don't think about it too hard. Yeah, Navita. And- Just don't <laughs> think about it too hard. <laughs> it's also interesting to me how like terrified of the gray man's brother and yet he goes down oh yeah really easily absolutely it's like Mm -hmm. anticlimactic in a way yeah and such a relief (laughs) you know like i didn't want there to be any sort of actual confrontation between the two of them right the fact that he just like took care of it Mm -hmm. like i said what does that say about me from that maggie dream thieves live tweet recap that i mentioned earlier Mm -hmm. And I'm still pretty pleased about the whole post-it note switcheroo situation. Fast and anonymous, just the way you like it. (laughs) Then he turned up the music, rolled up the window, and got back on the interstate. He was going home. Mm -hmm. It's so sweet, 300 Foxway is home to him. Mm -hmm. And technically, this is the last sentence of the book, you know, before the epilogue anyway. Mm -hmm. So how is this book about finding or returning home? And how does this serve as a concluding statement for the dream thieves? 
There's a lot about finding and returning home in this book. You've got Ronan, like, trying to find a way back to the barns. Mm -hmm. And, like, you know, the gray man finding home in Henrietta. Mm -hmm. And Gainsey spends the whole book talking about how Henrietta is home. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, there's just... And you have Adam finding support in Persephone Mm -hmm. and home in his power. Right. I mean, metaphorically home Mm -hmm. there, so... Yeah, there's a lot. I just love that as this kind of like... Bringing everything together almost. You know, yeah. It's that bow that just ties the package up. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, yeah. we are almost Epilogue. done. <laughs> Epilogue. It's a Ronin point of view. The gangsy takes Aurora to Caveswater and then return to Foxway to find they have another mystery to solve. Mm-hmm. Okay, but... How much do we love that the first one, two, three, four, five, six ish paragraphs are exactly the same as the prologue? Mm-hmm. And how much does that tie us back to the beginning of this book? Like, how circular does it make the dream thieves feel? How much does it then in the very next line show the character development that Ronan has gone through? I know, right? I was looking at my notes and then I realized I'd highlighted the whole first like page and a half of the Uh epilogue. And then I realized that I'd basically done it because it's exactly the prologue. Right. Which is important, but we've also like already covered that. (laughs) True, yeah. His first secret was himself. Contrast Mm. that with his first secret involved his father. Right. He is no longer living in the shadows of his father's secrets, but forging ahead and making his own freedom. Right. It's about him this time. Brother to a liar and brother to an angel, son of a dream and son of a dreamer. He was a warring star full of endless possibilities. But in the end, as he dreamt in the back seat on the way to the barns that night, he created only this. And then he finally makes that clause to the will that allows them to go back to the barn. Right. And here is where it says the bit about them being able to take residence when they turn 18. Right. I, I think I referenced it earlier in another episode and I'd forgotten that this is where it came from. So I ended up cutting that part out. Right. <laughs> they drive to the coordinates of Caveswater and it has returned. There was Caveswater, fully restored. It was spreading and mysterious, familiar and eerie, dreamer and dreamt. Like Ronan himself. (laughs) Every tree Ronan thought was a voice he might have heard before. And there was Noah, shoulders slumped, hand lifted in an apologetic wave. Aww. I noted that this was very similar to the end of the Raven Boys, which was their last mission to bring someone back to life. Mm -hmm. And Adam and Persephone were waiting to either side of Noah. So somehow they knew that the others were coming. Somehow. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And Persephone obviously has met Noah. Right. When they carried Aurora over the border, she woke like a rose blooms. More Sleeping Beauty imagery. Briar Rose! Mm-hmm. And when she smiled at Ronan, he thought, Matthew does look a little like her. Uh, crying again. <laughs> she hugged him and said, flowers and ravens, because she wanted him to know she remembered. She hugged Matthew and said, my love, because he was her favorite. She said nothing at all to Declan because he wasn't there. <clears throat> she did. I just want Declan to get some appreciation and love. Maybe in the Dreamer trilogy? I don't, yeah, hopefully. I... It's just like, fucking Ronan, does he even tell Declan that Aurora is awake? Like, Declan's my son now. <laughs> like, nobody, <laughs> nobody here gets to have Declan anymore. Ronan's second secret was Adam Parrish. Aww. Also contrast that with a prologue where the second secret was perfect in its concealment, the one he kept from himself. He's recognized it and acknowledged it. You know what that is? 
growth. Absolutely. <laughs> Ronan describes Adam as stronger, stranger, farther away. It was hard not to stare at the odd and elegant lines of his face. <laughs> and who else described him as elegant? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Adam tells them all that he has something to show them. The magician leading the court. Mm -hmm. As the dawn began to pink the bark of the trees. It's lovely. Mm -hmm. The pool from before has been replaced by a cave, which is Ronan's third secret. Again, the third secret is a thing that Ronan has dreamed. Is it? And I don't mean that like necessarily questioning, but where do you think the cave opening came from? I, hmm, maybe that's a good question because I was thinking like Ronan has basically dreamed about caves water. Mm hmm. And so I thought maybe it came from him, but maybe it came from Adam. I mean, I think it came from Cabe's water. Yeah, that, that's true. I mean, in a way, mm -hmm. yes, indirectly, it would be something that he dreamed, but it's almost like, here's this pathway that you guys are ready to take now, and right. we will open it up for you. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, Gansey asks, how deep does it go? And Adam said, I haven't gone in. I don't think it's safe. From the earlier conversation with Persephone about where he was going during the ritual, another time he entered a cave, mm -hmm. someplace very far away, Persephone said. She smiled at him. It was a tiny, secretive thing, like a bird peering from branches. Inside you. Is it safe? It's the opposite of safe, Persephone said. And that's page 351. Mm -hmm. Gansey, as usual, turns to Adam for next steps. Mm -hmm. And Adam says, make it safer. Yep. <laughs> then a pinch glance. <laughs> Adam glanced at Ronan, eyebrows furrowed, as if sensing Ronan's eyes on him. Ronan looked away. Mm. Aw, Ronan. <laughs> <laughs> when they returned to 300 Foxway, the sun was well up. To Ronan's shock, a white Mitsubishi sat on the curb. For a moment, he thought... But then he saw the gray man waiting out on the front step with Kala. His presence here instead of hundreds of miles away was not probable, but it was not impossible. Oh man, poor kid. I mean, what he just saw was freaking traumatic. I wonder, could it have been in Kavinsky's wheelhouse to dream himself a double? Is it unreasonable for Ronan to, however briefly, think that Kay might not have died? Mm -hmm. But then would Proko have fallen asleep? So would that mean that Kay Prime would be dead and then the dreamed Kavinsky would go on living as Kavinsky? And oh my gosh, uh -huh. <laughs> what then? <laughs> so Kala blames Persephone here. This is your fault. Did you know this was going to happen? And I'm like, why? What, what is she blaming Persephone for? I don't know. Did Persephone know? <laughs> and why is Kala saying it was peaceful to begin with? It just doesn't... If anything, I would think it had something to do with Mora thinking that Mr. Gray would not be coming back. Mm, but like, we don't know anything about what's going on here. Like, no. It, mm -mm. So Kala leads them all upstairs to Mora's room. A candle was melted on the carpet. Beside it, in a square of strong daylight, a crying bowl was knocked askew. I had almost wondered if she disappeared like Neve, but I think she had a flashlight, so she would have needed to walk into the cave somehow. <laughs> it's like, how though? The kids yeah. needed spelunking harnesses to get down into the cave, and okay, maybe we'll wait until next book for those questions. <laughs> <laughs> Who did this? Where is mom? Blue asked. Kala wordlessly handed her a note. This feels dire, but not final. Kala mm -hmm. is angry, but still obviously thinks they can find Mora. Yet, Kala touching the note. She would know why Mora left and where she went and what she was thinking. 
Psychometry. Mm-hmm. And a hasty, water-stained... Do you think it's tears? It could be tears. It could also be from the scrying bowl. That's what I was... I wasn't sure either. Mm-hmm. In a hasty, water-stained scrawl, it said, Glendower is underground. So am I. Do you think Maura saw Glendower while scrying? Was the passageway or the cave opened up because Mora needed it? Possibly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And with that, we go from kidnapped brother to missing mom. And the dream thieves is done and we set up for Blue Lily Lily Blue. Yay, boo. Yay, boo. Yay, boo. (laughs) No, I'm looking forward to Blue Lily because, like you, I'm ready to go into it with a fresh outlook. (laughs) All right. So, NBC. Okay. Who wants to go first? I don't know. We may have picked the same one. Okay. Maybe. I want to go with Kay. Oh. No. No, it's... I didn't pick that. (laughs) I picked Ronan. I was like, okay, which one? Because it's got to be one or the other. Um, Yeah. I mean, I can see both, but I mm -hmm. think... It's more just the, like, interaction of the two of them. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think seeing Ronan transform and become and like obviously he was working through all of that and Kavinsky helped him work through all Mm. of that but he then took that extra step and actually walked into his own future right whereas Kay chose not to do that right do we want a Rochambeau let's just give it to Ronan okay And as we had said at the end of The Raven Boys, it's like The Raven Boys is Adam's book, we would Mm. say. And obviously, you know, Ronan's kind of the overall MVC of The Dream Thieves. Right. Yeah. Well, that was both sad and easy. (laughs) (laughs) I literally spent the whole time being like, okay, trying to decide between Kavinsky and Ronan. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, which one do I pick? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, there have been some tough ones, definitely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, Maggie Watch. Maggie has been doing some hilarious live tweeting of rereads of The Raven Cycle. As previously mentioned, (laughs) in fact, she's doing Blue Lily Lily Blue right now as we record. And it's killing me to not be able to read the whole thing as it goes up. I'll link to the various threads for those who aren't on Twitter, and hopefully she will choose to do one for the Raven King as well. I'm sure she will. I have to say, at least for the Raven Boys, I was extremely pleased that there were several things that listeners of the podcast would have already known because we had covered it. (laughs) On other things, I was like, shush, Maggie, I was saving that. (laughs) 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 all right and then supporter shout outs a special thank you to our newest patron rhiannon yay lovely name one of my favorite names (laughs) of all time and continued thanks to our amazing patrons Mimi, Andrea, Jamie, Nancy, Chelsea, Lynn, D the Shadow, Amanda, Tiffany, Louise, Alina, Bella, and Hannah. 
And you have all helped us to cover our hosting. And I really am thinking that the website's probably going to be a thing that happens Yay. between seasons. So, woohoo. And also, again, a thank you for Amanda, who figured out how to recommend or review us on Facebook after we mentioned it the last time. Yay. <laughs> and she said, I have been listening since nearly the beginning, but could not find a way to review until now. Sorry, ladies. The Raven Girls is amazing. They both bring fresh perspective to excellent books, and they do it with humor and sensitivity. They are also open to other perspectives and bring them in when they can. Amazing job. Thank Thank you you so so much. much. So for other folks who might not have been able to leave us a review because you weren't sure exactly how if you weren't an iTunes user or some other platform, maybe just give us a recommendation on Facebook. Yeah. And since we are going into... I won't say a break or a hiatus, because for us, it's going to be working. (laughs) But we are going into a time where production and release schedule is going to be a little bit more, well, I won't say more hit and miss, because obviously, it's been a little hit and miss recently. (sighs) But I would just request that stay subscribed or subscribe if you haven't already. Mm. You should be able to get us on any platform or app you use. It doesn't matter what it is. And just a brief mention, because I I'm not sure we'll be able to talk about this again in a main episode. We have a giveaway, a group giveaway for Call Down the Hawk that will be starting on October 5th. So I'm not sure how we're going to run that through Facebook because Facebook's a little weird with privacy. But at least through Twitter and through Tumblr, like we did last time, we will be posting the information for a giveaway. Cool. Yay, giveaways. Yep. And we are still doing a wrap-up episode, a season wrap-up episode. Get in touch with comments for that. Yeah. We also want to do the toxic masculinity deep dive that we had promised. Oh, yeah. We've talked about that several times. And a Call Down the Hawk special episode when Woo-hoo. that comes out. So we still have a lot of content. We want to throw your direction even before season three officially starts. Right. And I just remembered another thing that I forgot to put in the notes. I am in an actual play podcast that should be releasing an episode coming up. So if you happen to be following us, I will put up announcements for that. So you'll hear my voice at least as well over the next month. Nice. Okay, that's the last of my notes. <laughs> Yay! How you feeling about it? We'll spend a lot of time talking about the book and season two and all that, but how are you feeling right at this moment? Happy and sad. Yeah, I'm feeling <laughs> drained. <laughs> a lot of- came out today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, well, thank you for joining us. Yeah! Our next episode will be the season two wrap up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So as I just said, please subscribe, send us thoughts, let us know what you want us to answer or anything like that. You know the drill. (laughs) And again, you can find us practically everywhere on social media and we'll be keeping up with that Mm -hmm. at Raven Girls, R-A-V-I-N-G-I-R-L-S, on Twitter at Raven Girls, on Tumblr at ravengirls.tumblr.com, Facebook at facebook.com slash ravengirls, and you can reach us directly at ravengirls at gmail.com. And our Patreon and coffee are also at Raven Girls. Mm-hmm. You can reach me at substanceparty.tumblr.com. 
or via Gmail at substance party with all of the A's taken out, S-U-B-S-T-N-C-P-R-T-Y at gmail.com. If we have referenced a post or article in the podcast, we will do our best to include source links to those in the show notes. The Raven Cycle and all affiliated properties are copyright Maggie Stiefvater and Scholastic Incorporated. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. And until next time, whoop whoop Raven Girls! Yes! <laughs> Nailed it! Yes! <laughs> and that's season two. Oh my gosh. That's the end of the dream, thieves. Sad face. It's okay. Oh. I'm excited about Blue Lily Lily Blue. I know you are. <laughs> I, I have been getting more excited. I'm looking forward to it. And I enjoyed Dream Thieves way more than I thought I would. I mean, it's not that I don't like the book. Right. That's yeah, how I feel about Blue Lily. It's just like, <laughs> there are things about it where I'm like, eh, okay, it's not my favorite in the world. I like the other books better. But, I mean. It's Daddy Dick. That's a strangely hetero partner there you have. It's Daddy It's Daddy Dick. It's Daddy Dick, that's a strange. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. He's saying it's daddy, daddy uh-huh, being right. Yeah, and it's then daddy, Dick. Dick that's Say a, it again. Start over. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. It's daddy, Dick. That's a strangely. Blue does some quick calculations on how they're going to keep track of the Mitsubishi's that all that keep track of the Mitsubishi's. They, yeah. <laughs> keep track of the Mitsubishi's. When they carried Aurora over the border, she wo- she woke. <clears throat> when they carried Aurora over the border, she woke like a woke. <laughs> I'm laughing with you, not at you. <laughs> when she carried, when they carried Aurora over the border, she woke like a rose blooms. Country searing into the very hearts of the people, causing <clears throat> causing them to burp, searing. <laughs> Searing into the very hearts of the people, causing... We need to take a break, and I think we should probably do a deep dive right after that. Okay. (laughs) BRB getting dragons? BRB getting dragons. Okay.